I haven't always had control over the experiences that I've had in my life, but I have control over how I tell the story of them. I was thinking this is the greatest thing ever, and it is. My writing process is the same. I'm just a girl who likes to write. Oh, sometimes when you talk about the stuff that sucks, people will pay you money and you'll feel better about it, and then you can buy your Prozac. If you are waiting for permission to have a voice in this world and to tell your story in this world, then you're not going to get it. I'm Lux Altrum. And I'm Lee Stein. And this is The Binder Cast, a conversation series featuring some of our favorite women and gender nonconforming writers. This week, we're talking about balancing the work we're passionate about with the work we get paid for, a struggle most of us know all too well. I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately. I started off as a poet, and then I wanted to write a novel so I could become a quote-unquote real writer. But lately, I've actually been missing writing poems. It's like I miss hearing the lines in my head, like an expression of something separate from my life hustling to make a living as a writer. So I know I come across as the soulless, uh, money-driven one, but I did used to write for pleasure. I I feel I should say that. Um, That's actually how I got through most of high school and my early 20s. But as I shifted to writing for a living, I just started feeling more and more like anytime I sat down to write a poem or a short story or something that I was not going to get paid for, I was just wasting time and that I should be focusing on paying work. I feel sometimes like my capitalist nature is just stifling my creativity. Well, maybe after this episode, you'll feel inspired to write poems again. Our guest this week is poet and Amazon publishing editor Morgan Parker. Morgan is the author of a collection called Other People's Comfort Keeps Me Up at Night, which Eileen Miles selected to win the Switchback Books Gatewood Prize. Morgan is also a Cave Canham graduate fellow and a Pushcart Prize winner. She is a big deal poet, but one of the most interesting things about her work is how much it draws from pop culture. While working on her MFA at NYU, Morgan was pushing boundaries and pushing some buttons. You know, I love all the pop culture in your poetry, and I wonder what your workshop experience was like. Did Were people jiving oh with that, or was that, like, drama? Uh, <laughs> without, like, naming names, um, one of my professors was like, you shouldn't do this. Like, this is not worthy of a poem. And I ignored him. <laughs> I, like, literally was just like, mm, I disagree, and you don't know what's best for me type of thing. I really think, for me, it was about figuring out, like, what my motive was in using pop culture like am I just doing this because I just like really like the housewives or you know I just like listening to Jay-Z like what's the project and I think that's like one of my critiques to other poets who use pop culture like if it doesn't feel like it's coming from a thought out motive it just feels kind of cheap and I didn't want that effect so a lot of my time in grad school was kind of figuring out like why I was so interested in using that in poetry. And I think the act of having to like almost make excuses about it or like really like kind of plead my case in workshops, I think really helped me in like my future writing because I kind of like knew what I was up to and why and why I thought it was important. I wasn't just being glib about it. You're like honing your argument. Yeah, totally. And that helped me as a writer to be like, okay, what am I really doing? I remember in workshops, there was a little bit of talk about me being pigeonholed as like a funny or I don't know and I kind of like I don't really think 
these films are funny. Like, I think there's humor used to talk about the most depressing stuff. I kind of spent a lot of time thinking about the ways in which writing about pop culture and writing with humor as a black woman could kind of pigeonhole me or put me in this kind of, like, very flat box. And those aren't the type of poems I'm interested in writing. Like, I want something that's really complex and layered and complicated. It would be so weird if I was writing poems that did not include all the songs I'm listening to, all the TV I'm watching, you know, like things my friends are saying. Like that would be so false. And the poems would probably be boring as hell. You know, like if I'm writing about my particular life experience, then there's like I like watch a lot of cable and that's part of my particular life experience. Honestly, like people are like, do you think that this is poetry? I'm like, clearly I do, A. (laughs) And B, like this is... I mean, it's 2015. Like, Elliot was doing this. That was a long-ass time ago. And I definitely feel a little bit of a double standard on it. As women and as a person of color, I feel like there's more scrutiny around it. You know, like, Elliot, Frank O'Hara, like, these guys are doing this, and they are long gone. You know, so why is there still an argument about what belongs in a poem and what doesn't? They're canonized for it. Absolutely. You know, I think the the argument about what is a poem, what belongs in poetry, that's so tired. And the more we make that an argument, the more boring poems that are going to be about trees in the world. And, like, I don't know. Like, I live in New York. Like, I don't pay attention to trees that often. <laughs> you know, maybe once in a while and there's that one poem. But, you know, I think it would be so false and so boring and inauthentic for me to, like, you know, right, stopping by the woods in a snowy evening. I don't even know what the woods are. Like, that's just not not my landscape. My landscape is inside the TV. So if we can bring Real Housewives into our poetry, how do we bring our poetry to Real Housewives? Is there a way that we oh. could make poetry more pop? Oh, my God. I don't know. My life's work. <laughs> like, how can I send my book to all the housewives and have them dig it? Poetry can no longer be associated with, like, something that doesn't have anything to do with us. I think that's the major issue. And especially when I talk to, like, non-poet friends, they're like, I don't understand it. It's like, seems about something that I don't understand or have access to. I think reading the the wrong poem. Totally. Absolutely. And But those are the poems that are being taught and promoted and, like, lauded. So... That's on them, but it's also just, like, on society and, like, what society wants to hold dear as poetry with a capital P. You know, like, this is poetry. And I think we often celebrate the wrong things. And there's a little bit of, like, a weird snobbery around it that is not serving us. Like, it's really not. Poetry, it's, like, it's so elitist and it's so denigrated at the same time. Absolutely. Elitism is hurting us and it's making us write bad poems. <laughs> and it's also just, like, stopping the general culture from engaging with poetry in a meaningful way and falling in love with poetry and seeing the possibilities of poetry. I personally did not like poetry until, like, seven years ago, like, in college. Everything I was taught in school, it was so boring. And I was, like, anti-poetry because I was like, this is not – this has nothing to do with me. And I was right, you know, to think that. And how sad is that, that, like, now this is, like, something that I'm making my world about. And I almost missed it because of the way it was taught and the way its reputation in society. Like, that's horrible. But then she found contemporary poetry – And it gave her the outlet to write about the subjects that matter to her, like the construction of black female identity, 
which she explores in her Miss Black America poems. That started as one poem, like a really long poem, you know, just me like listening to Curtis Mayfield one day and loving that song and thinking about like, what is that song if it were written today? And what are all the things that would make up like Miss Black America? So thinking about that, it's thinking about like, what are the things that we as black American women love about each other and ourselves, but also what's there's a little bit of like model minorityness to tease out, you know, like what is the model black American woman versus like all of our flaws, you know. So it started as this poem that kind of super long and not even really in sections. It just kind of like kept going and looking at all the different perspectives. So there's like and now that it's broken up into separate poems, it's kind of like one is about like art and one is about hair and like lots of different kind of perspectives about black American womanhood. And I really wanted to include not only my questions about what Miss Black America might look like or be like or do in her spare time, but I also wanted to include a lot of like outside language. So there's like quotations. There's like something I took from the Miss Black America website. There's, you know, a bit from a Kanye West song. So there's like a lot of kind of outside language about black women's bodies as well, which is as valid, unfortunately, or fortunately, it's as valid of a self-assertion as anything else kind of language you're hearing from the outside. Throughout your work, there's like this argument for the multifariousness Mm -hmm. of black female culture, whatever. It's like almost this Whitman. Totally. We're including everybody. Like we can all be in this experience. Mm -hmm. It's not just one thing. Oh, absolutely. And I'm super sensitive to that. And I really do think of that as like my like life work. Like that's not one book or two books or it's just like something that I'm always going to be investigating and thinking about it as like a leaves of grass where you just like keep adding in more. And I think it's hard you know it's like really complicated because not only is it just like naming a thing or naming oneself it's about undoing first these kind of like long-held ideas it's kind of like a complicated practice where you're like undoing but also like filling that undoing with like new information at the same time I'm so interested in like perspectives and how you are finally never really in control of like how other people see you and how one like takes control of that and what are the ways that that is allowed I don't know I'm really interested in that kind of what am I asserting versus like what are people seeing and I don't know I'm just really interested in self-awareness as you know like a way of living in the world and also in the poems and like in the way that I talk about identity. Like, there's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheekness about, okay, I know that I am putting this out there, but I also know that you're going to read it this way, which is not the way that I intended. So how do I, like, almost kind of preempt what you might think about me? I don't know. It's a little bit of a game, I think. One thing that's often misread in Morgan's work, her feelings about Beyoncé. I get a lot of conversations about Beyonce. People are always like, so do you like Beyonce or do you not? 
Or like people come up to me and be like, oh, I also hate Beyonce. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, for Slow context, down. your second book has Beyonce in the title. Yeah. Uh, there are more beautiful things than Beyonce is its current title. But that's also the title of a poem that I often read. And so people like are so interested in like me making a statement against Beyonce or they're like, people are going to be mad that you wrote that. I mean, honestly, I'm not saying that Beyonce is ugly. <laughs> like the things that I posit in the poem that might be more beautiful than her are like education and like the sky. So I don't How dare I don't you, really Morgan. think that she would argue with that. Ultimately, the strength of Morgan's work is in its popularity. Audiences love her. You know, people just like being engaged and like seeing themselves in the poem. Like that's so they don't even know how to like react to that. They're like, oh, I just heard someone talk about things that I also know about. And I wasn't like sitting there trying to like decipher some weird puzzle that's like super abstract and like, I don't know, M dashes. Like they're not, you know, they're they're really like there with me on the same level. And I think that's like where those comments are coming from. They're like shocked. Okay, I have a confession. This is making me really, really, really want to write poetry. You're winning me over to the dark side, Lee. I knew we would get you eventually. But here's the thing I still want to know. How do poets make a living? Like, it's not like poetry actually pays your bills. I mean, unless you win a Nobel Prize or you're the Poet Laureate, you're really just making, like, 25 bucks here and there if you're lucky. So how are poets able to put so much energy into it? I have to admit, I don't know any poets who make a living as poets. But I also don't know any who got into writing verse for the paychecks. Edna St. Vincent Millay got rich writing sonnets, but then died poor and addicted to morphine, so let's not use her as a model. Wallace Stevens was an insurance company exec. Walt Whitman worked as a clerk during the Civil War. So basically, Morgan joins a long line of poets with day jobs. Let's segue into talking about poetry and labor and getting paid. What do you, how do you get paid, Morgan? I have a job. <laughs> I work at Amazon. I am an editor for Little A. It's one of Amazon Publishing's imprints. And also part of what I do there is edit our literary journal called Day One, which is all for emerging writers. And it's like a short story and a poem, and it's weekly. So I do that. What kind of books does Little A publish? It's literary fiction imprint, and we also are foraying into nonfiction and poetry. And that's a new job, isn't it? It's a new job. I worked. It's very new for me also to be officially in publishing. I've, like, been an editor, like, at nighttime for years and years. But I previously worked in the arts world and the arts nonprofit world, which I loved and I hold very dear to my heart but not to my wallet. <laughs> you know, I mean, I may miss, I miss the work of nonprofit, but I don't miss like scrounging. There's a little bit of like the same like poetry hustle in the like nonprofit arts hustle. And it just was very overwhelming to me. Like I'm like over here writing a grant for myself or like a fellowship application and then writing a grant for like this organization. It's just, I don't know, the allure of like, the starving, struggling artist really wore off for me, which I don't know. I mean, there's something to be said for that allure and, and that kind of like romanticism. I'm here for it. Like, that's like why I moved to New York. I was like, yeah, I can't wait to like, just like, whatever, it's fine. I'll eat rice. Like, it just sounded so beautiful to me. But it's been nine years and I'm a grown ass woman and I like need to get paid. 
I've always had a full-time job. I worked in grad school. I I worked four days a week. So it was, like, as much as I could do and then have my day to, like, go to school. And, yeah, that's because I don't come from money and I don't have – I don't know. I was always, like, so just, like, in awe and super jealous of, you know, the folks who I did an MFA with and either they, like, had saved or their parents were funding them for a little bit or whatever the case may be, you know, no judgment on them. But I'd be like, what are you doing tomorrow? And they're like, I think I'm just going to, like, read in the park all day. I'm like, what? <laughs> I literally have never done that, like, ever in my life. It's like a bummer, right? Like, it's a bummer that I wasn't, like, blessed with, like, the skills to do something that, like, pays more. <laughs> but this is, like, what I have. It's a little bit, like, not like a drive, but just, like, I, like I have to. It doesn't necessarily, like, feel like a choice. Like, this is my life. This is, like, where I feel like I've been most effective in communicating like and, like, connecting with other people. I think it's, like, the mode that has been best for me. And it's, like, the area where I've felt the most, like, seen and heard. I really wish I were a musician. I really wish – I don't know. Like, there's so many other things. But I can't do those things. I cannot. And this is what I can do. So it really then becomes about, okay, what can I do, like, that's a job that is, you know, not distracting or, like, taking away from, like, this poetry thing. I write at night and I feel like I always happen to get into the groove of a poem, like, right at the time where it's, like, I really have to go to bed if I'm going to, like, make it to work on time. So that's, like, a daily, like, negotiation, unfortunately. <laughs> like, that moment where you have to be, like, shit, like, okay, I can either be super tired tomorrow at work or I can, like, try to exit this space I'm in right now and, like, come back to it at a later time. And, you know, I've gone either way, but... Okay, am I going to, like, you know, do the right thing for my, like, day-to-day, day-job situation or just, like, stay up all night and, like, write write this crazy poem that I think could be good? You know, it's, like, a daily thing. I haven't, like, you know, totally, like, fucked up a job, (laughs) you know? Like, I haven't done that. But I do feel like I definitely am aware of... The importance, like, the the larger kind of, like, umbrella importance of, like, me working on creative projects. And I don't know. I work really hard to, like, balance it and, like, negotiate with myself and, like, have these little conversations. But what's great is that I feel like if I'm being fed there creatively and if I'm, like, spending enough time on my projects, then I can do a good job at work. I literally, there was one time I took a personal day and I was just like, I haven't written anything in months. And my coworkers were like, great, go do that. Because I was just like, I'm getting antsy. Like, it's it's it was almost like physical, like, I could feel I hadn't written anything and I needed to, like, take a day. And I felt like when I returned to work, I felt better and I could, like, focus on work. You know, like, you kind of, one informs the other. Like, you can't do a good job at work if you feel, like, unfulfilled in your life in general. And that goes for literally everyone, you know, creative or not. I love that advice of using a mental health day to work on Absolutely. your writing. It's mental health. It totally is. And it was so funny when I did that. It was really cute. My coworkers, I like went on and checked my email on that day and they were like, get off. Like they were like G-chatted me and were like, get off email. Like go write. 
having a workplace like that is really important to me where, you know, I'm not like secretly holing away and living this other life. Like, I think it's important that folks kind of know that, you know, I'm a whole person and have a lot of different priorities and and yeah, I don't know. It's like helpful to have other people be like, you're not focusing on the right thing right now. You know, even if it's like at work, you're not focusing on work. You're thinking about something else. Do it tonight. Like just compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. And that's it's so hard, but it's really important. But while Morgan's been able to find workplaces that support her passion for poetry, not everyone is so lucky. And stigma around openly discussing money, well, it just makes it harder for artists to find the support they need to fulfill their creative visions. Like the fact that we're like having to have a conversation where it's like, how are you making money? You know, like that's crazy. And I think that I try to do this like in my friendships and in my relationships, like checking on folks and being like, how are you making money? Like, do you have money? Like, I don't know. I, I think there's like a weird stigma around it, especially like in artistic circles. And I think that should we value like open conversations about it, we would find a lot of solutions. Someone has like a whole scheme that like I don't know about that like I think if we pooled our resources in like how we're like getting by, I think we would be better for it. Everyone has like a different hustle and like a different way and folks know about resources, you know, that I might not know about. And I, I just really feel like the way to, like, move forward is for us to, like, have more conversations about it. And also, like, it would be cool if we could all live outside of the capitalist society and do our own poetry thing and, like, not really worry but all still magically, like, be well-dressed and well-fed. That would be awesome. But that is not the case. Like, we still live within this thing. And I worry that it, like, changes, like, the value we put on ourselves as writers. Like, we are offering a service, you know, like, performing and writing poems and writing essays and all those things are, that's something that we don't have to do. I think that we need to know that poetry is, and writing in general, is, like, we're, like, offering something to the world. And I think if we think that internally and, like, amongst ourselves, then I think other folks will feel the same way. It sounds like your new job, you're more stable, maybe. You're hustling yes. less. Maybe. Well, could... no, I'm not hustling less. <laughs> I'm definitely, like, getting a bigger paycheck. But I do – I I mean, I'm, a, like, a person who struggles with, like, overcommitting and, like, you're doing too much and all that stuff. So I am – just because I do feel like my job is super demanding, I'm, like – trying to be realistic about what I can offer outside of my job and also, like, you know, like, be a healthy Morgan, you know, moving through the world and, you know, sleep and all that stuff. What's your thought process when you're invited or asked to do something? Like, when do you say yes to things and when do you set boundaries for yourself? Well, newly, I am not responding immediately. <laughs> That's, like, my number one thing because I think my, my impulse is always like, that sounds great. I would love to. And that's true. Like, I would love to. But I don't know. I've gotten in a, a place before where it's like, wait, I committed to all these other things. I'm, like, not writing. Like, that's really bad. So it's kind of like thinking about, like, okay, is this very important to me, like, for a particular reason? And also, am I the only one who can do this? You know, like, what I mean? Like, there are a lot of people out there who maybe, like, need the opportunity more or, like, want it more or, like, haven't had that particular experience. So for some things, I'm like, this is, like, I really want to be the one to, to take this opportunity. I feel like I have the capacity to do it well. But sometimes it's, like, someone, like, wants a job, you know, like, they should do this. So it's easier for me 
to think about it not in terms of self-care but in terms of like creating opportunities for other people you know like I can't be editor of every literary journal like someone else has to you know someone else wants to do that and like needs that and like wants that for their career and so it's easier for me to think in those terms like if I don't do this then it creates a space for someone else Um, but I think it's also a mark of success in your career that you've reached a place where you're able to turn things down and turn them into opportunities for others absolutely and I really I don't think that I've like made it or anything but I think about when I was just starting out like I would do every single reading and I needed to. Like, I needed the practice. I needed to meet people. I needed, you know, people to come up after readings and say all kinds of crazy things to me, including, but not limited to, you know, can I book you? Can I solicit you? All those things are great. And I I think that, like, young writers need to do that. I don't regret, like, taking all opportunities and, like, oversaturating myself because it's, like, what I needed to do to, like, feel like I had made progress. And I don't necessarily, like, need to do that anymore and that's fine <laughs> you know like I, I I want to I want to like do everything that I can but you know the quality should never be sacrificed that's one thing where it's like okay am I gonna like half-ass write this essay that's not fair I want to give you the best version of me and like the best product and that best version of Morgan it's just getting better here's the thing about me I really think that I could be a sort of Oprah situation. <laughs> but that's truly my dream. I am a little tied up in things right now, but <laughs> I want to have a TV show and like a talk show, all kinds of everything. Any way that I can like spread things around, that's like what I'm up to. Right now it's editorially or like shaping young minds but you know soon soon the world soon on the oprah track i can't wait if you want to read some of morgan's awesome poems you can order her collection other people's comfort keeps me up at night at switchbackbooks.com follow her on twitter at morgan apple the binder cast is a production of out of the binders inc a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to advancing the careers of women and gender nonconforming writers. For more information about Out of the Binders, go to bindercon.com or follow us at bindercon on Twitter. This episode was hosted by Lux Alptrom and Lee Stein and produced by Jennifer Lai. Our theme music is Ready to Go by Miss Eves and Quiche. Many thanks to Seth Lind. In an upcoming episode, we'll be talking about collaboration. And in the spirit of teamwork, we'd love your help to finish this episode. Record a voice memo on your smartphone about the times that you have collaborated as a writer, whether that means working with an illustrator, working with an editor, or actually sitting down in a group and working as a team to write a project. You can send your recording to info at bindercon.com. That's I-N-F-O at BinderCon.com. We're looking forward to hearing all your tips.